Bible says in chapter 20 and verse 1 of John, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And Peter went out with the other disciple, probably John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooped to look in. And he saw that the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen, linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which, he, which had been on Jesus. Jesus' head, not lying with a linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw, and he saw and believed. For as they did not understand, as yet, they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one on the head, at the head, and the other at the feet. And I want to stop there and just give you a little bit of a picture. If we know anything about the mercy seat in in the Ark of the Covenant, this is a very beautiful picture of the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant. Um, The scriptures tell us that at the head and at the feet of Jesus's body was, were two angels, And as we can picture the mercy seat back in the Old Testament, it was two angels that were hovering over the place of God's mercy. And within the Ark of the Covenant were were beautiful um, expressions of the Ten Commandments, the the, uh, rod of Aaron that budded, and, and these were expressions of God's presence. And so what we have in the, in the tomb at this moment is we have this expression of the ark of, of, the, of the mercy seat, the place where our sacrifice, our, the blood of Jesus Christ was, was shed and sprinkled, the Bible says in Hebrews, on the mercy, she, mercy seat, and not the mercy seat on earth, but, but the mercy seat in heaven. The Bible says that, that Mary enters the tomb and she sees this, she sees this event and, and she, doesn't, she doesn't comprehend it, okay, like most of us, right, amen? We, we, we look into things in the scriptures and we see and we think we get it and, and the Lord opens us up to something new and, and exciting. But what's neat about this story is that it goes on beyond the mercy seat and beyond the death of the sacrifice, beyond the sprinkling of the blood on the, on the horns and uh, beyond that, it, it goes beyond that to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says in the next verse, we'll begin in verse 13. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. What a moment. What a moment. She turns from seeing the, the place of Jesus Christ death, his, his body should be laying there. And in her mind, she has concluded that somebody has stolen his body. 
for she did not understand that Jesus Christ must rise from the grave, that he could not be subject or under the power and under the control of death, of Satan, of sin and hell. He must rise from the dead in order for us to have life, in order for them to have hope. The Bible says, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where they have, if they have carried him away, or if you have carried him away, tell me where they have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus reveals himself at this moment to Mary. He, he makes himself known to her for who he really is. He, he exposes the resurrection to her. He, he exposes life to her. In a very similar way in the Old Testament, again, going back to the Day of Atonement and the, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and that sacrifice being made. And, and once a year, they would enter into the Holy of Holies, the high priest would, and he would, make the, or he would make the sacrifice before getting in. And then he would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the, of the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. The people would wait outside and they would be anticipating and there would be a, a, a great deal of anticipation. There would be some, some nervousness as well. Uh, and maybe even if it were that he would spend more time in the, in the uh, holy of holies, that they would even become more nervous. And, and this has been three days. Because what was significant to the people who were waiting outside was to find that that sacrifice, not only that that sacrifice was made, which was important that the sacrifice be made for their sins, but it wasn't the ultimate importance. The ultimate importance was not that the sacrifice be made, but the ultimate importance was that the sacrifice be accepted. You see, if a wrong sacrifice was made, the Bible says back again in Exodus and Leviticus, the Bible says if the wrong sacrifice is made, then the high priest would die. He would not return to them as they expected. He would not be revealed to them again, showing forth that the sacrifice, that the blood that was shed was pure blood, it was acceptable blood, and that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the judge of all things, has accepted that sacrifice. And for a year, the people of God, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, would be restored into his favor because their sins had been not paid for, but their sins, according to scriptures, had been covered for a season. They did this year after year after year. And the picture is very, very clear. At the, at the, at, for those three days, the people, again, this morning, they're running to the tomb. They're frantic in, in, in a very similar way, waiting to see. Because Jesus Christ was not only the sacrifice, but the Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and 10. We won't turn there because of time. But the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ was the sacrificer. That he wasn't only the lamb of God who takes away the sins of men, but he is also the high priest who's offering himself on the altar for our sins. He offered himself, the Bible tells us in John chapter number 10, 
No one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. If I lay my life down freely, I have the power to do what? I have the power to take it back again. You see, that morning when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he revealed to all of us that he was not only the sacrificial lamb, but that he was also the high priest. And in addition to that, he revealed to all of mankind that the offering had been accepted. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was acceptable to God the Father. And because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was acceptable, many, many benefits, many blessings come to his disciples, but not only to his disciples, but also come to us as beneficiaries of his sacrifice. This morning we read out of 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says if Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead, that we are still in our sins. And it's the same picture again in the Old Testament. If, Jesus, if the high priest did not come out of, that, out of that holy of holies and present himself to the people, it was a sign that they were still in their sins. Listen to me this morning, folks. If Jesus Christ hasn't be, become by faith your Lord and Savior, the scriptures teach us clearly that we are still in our sins. And if we are still in our sins, and, and remember, it's not just that he died for us. That's great, right? Lots of people love to talk about Jesus died for my sins, but Jesus didn't just die for us. Jesus rose again, and he rose again to give us life. He rose again to come and live within us, to give us himself so that we can become a part of the things that he accomplished for us. Or we can become a partaker or a participant, if you will. The resurrection of Christ is a sign to us. It's symbolic. In, it, in its event, it's real. It's, it's a reality, but it's symbolic to us that Christ Jesus' blood, which was shed 2,000 years ago, was accepted by God the Father, and it was accepted eternally for our sins. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, perhaps you're familiar with the passage of Scripture. It talks about the fact that he bore our griefs and his, our sins were placed upon him, and, and by his stripes we are healed. In verse number 10, the Bible says this. Yet it was the will of God to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. He will, or the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Another version says it this way, that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It satisfied the Lord to bruise the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, for the sake of our sins. So in the resurrection, there's extraordinary hope. If you'll take your Bibles and go with me to the book of 1 Peter, this will be our, our kind of our resting point for the remainder of our service. While you're turning there, I'm going to read a little bit out of Hebrews 
so you can get a picture of what um, the Lord is saying. Hebrews chapter number 9, I'll read verse number 11. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through a greater and more perfect tent, meaning body, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by the means of the blood of goats and, and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. We go down, we'll read a few more verses. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sacrifice for the, for the purification of the flesh, how much, how much more will the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And then we skip down to verse 24. For Christ has entered, not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true thing, but he has entered into heaven itself. You see, the, the holy of holies that we read about in the Old Testament on this earth is just simply a symbol of the holy of holies that is in heaven. And the mercy seat that we read about in the Old Testament is simply a symbol of the mercy seat that is in heaven. And while every year they made a sacrifice on this earth, on this earthly mercy seat, and they sprinkled the blood on an earthly mercy seat, and, and God considered it acceptable for a season, during this time, the blood of Jesus Christ was not an offering that was made on an earthly mercy seat, but it was an offering that was made on a heavenly mercy seat. And God said, accepted, acceptable, Perfect, holy, righteous, everything necessary to, to not just deliver my people temporarily, but to deliver them eternally. Amen? Let's read on. Verse 26. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, as it is he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is pointed for men once to die, and after this comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. In 1 Peter there's, a, there's an expounding of this. And Peter is writing to encourage the people that he's writing to. And he, he's writing uh, from the context of suffering in, in the same way that that whole morning for the uh, uh, disciples and the, and, and, and the ladies there was a, a, a time of a frustration and being frantic. The Christian's life, the life of a Christian was getting ready to be the same. And the Lord reminds them of the resurrection of Christ and what that resurrection means. And that's how I want to close this morning. That's how I want to, those are like the, a pastor's famous last words. When you hear that's how I want to close this morning, you're thinking like five more minutes, right? Forget it. <laughs> At least 10 more, right? I want to just give you this morning in, in kind of uh, uh, context of the message here. I want to just talk about for a few minutes on, on what the resurrection accomplished. 
What, what the resurrection uh, caused to be permittable or allowed. What the, how the resurrection can affect you and how the resurrection has affected me. And how the resurrection has affected a lot of us. It's possible that there's someone, listen, listen, let's be honest. It's not just possible, it's likely that someone sitting in here on Easter morning is not, does not know Jesus as their savior. They don't. They've never seen, they're, they're like, they're, honestly, the scripture says this, they did not understand. They could see everything could be un, un, unpacked for them and they look at it and they say, it doesn't make any sense. How many of you this morning who are Christians, before you were a Christian, it didn't make any sense? You know what? Every single one of us. Because it doesn't make sense to any of us, does it? It all is confusing if you don't have the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what they were missing. That's why Jesus said to them, there is coming a time that you will understand, but it's not today. You need a helper. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. You say, you're here with us this morning and maybe you're not saved. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Listen, there is hope. There is hope. The hope that we have is based upon and built upon the work of Jesus Christ. It's not hope this morning. I'm not going to get up here and tell you that, hey, if you do these five things, God will accept you. If you, if you just stop doing these evil things, God's going to just love you. He's going to shower you with blessing and favor. That's not the basis for our acceptance with God. Our acceptance with God, your acceptance with God, my ability, my, my right to stand in his presence and to be accepted is not because I've done something good. Matter of fact, the opposite would really be true, wouldn't it? My standing with God based upon what I have done would be very, very bad. But my standing with God is based upon what Jesus has done. And the hope that he purchased through his blood, through his burial and his resurrection has now made it possible for, for neat things, for lack of a better word, to happen to me. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter 5, or 1 Peter 1, verse 3. He says, blessed, or the Greek here says, bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a lively hope now watch these next words, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, there are certain things that are going to take place. There are certain things that are going to happen in the life of a believer that are based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Their foundation is found in what he has done. The scriptures call him on many occasions the first fruits and what a first fruit means is that here's the beginning, but there's a lot that's going to follow. And it's the standard. If you, some of you are farming, and I, we come from an agricultural place, community, Nebraska, very agricultural. And the first fruits were the standard. It was the expectations for all the other fruits. 
And that's the way it is with the Lord. He is the standard and he is the expectation for all of us. Romans 8 tells us that we are, we have been predestined. We have been, it's been predetermined that those who are followers of Jesus Christ will be what? Conformed into his image. We will be like him. Let me tell you four things that are benefits of Christ's resurrection that can impact you. Number one, the Bible says that he hath caused us to be born again. To be born again. The first hope that we have as Christians based upon the resurrection of Christ is that we can be born again. That means if you're sitting here this morning, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, you can have a fresh start. You can start all over again. Based upon the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You say, well, Pastor John, I, 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 you don't know me. You don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know the things that I've, I've committed. You don't know all of the uh, things that I'm involved in. Pastor John, you don't know who I am. And, and my answer to that is, is that I do know who you are because I'm the same way. I'm no better than anybody else in here. Listen, the, the murderer that says I cannot be delivered or saved is, doesn't understand that I'm a murderer. Bible tells us that if we hate our brother, that we're murderers. He, he brings us all down to the same playing field. We're all guilty before God. We're all desperate like the disciples. We all lack understanding. But what we need is we need to be born again. We need a new start. We need to start over again. Sometimes we look at our kids, don't we? And our kids aren't going the right direction that they ought to be going. Maybe they're involved in some things that are pretty, pretty horrible. Listen to me. They can start over again. See, that's the hope that we have. We don't look at any situation or any circumstance in life and say, you know what, that's hopeless. You as a Christian, I as a Christian cannot say that. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, someone who was dead is now alive. And therefore, there is no such thing as a hopeless situation. There is no such thing as a hopeless person. Jesus rose from the dead, and the Bible teaches us that he can raise us up from the dead. Ephesians 2 and verse 1, the Bible says that he hath made us alive who were dead in our trespasses and sins. Say, Pastor John, I, I could never be victorious over this or, or this or... Yes! You can, not because you are able. Listen, it is because he is able to do it for you, to do it in you, and to do it through you. We can start over again. Every year that high priest walked in, and every year, the children of Israel got to do what? They got to start over again. And you know what? Every year, they did what? Failed. <laughs> you know what? There was never a year that went by that the high priest said, hey, look, we don't have to make the sacrifice this year because we're all good. 
because every year mankind, the children of Israel kept falling and they had to make the sacrifice again. Listen to me. The Bible teaches us that not only are we accepted by God and we can have a new beginning in Christ, but the Bible says that we can be eternally accepted by God. That means when you get a new beginning, you can never fail again. You say, Pastor John, you believe that you can never fail again as a Christian? I do. And here's why. Because my standing before God is no longer based upon what I have done. It is based upon what Jesus Christ has done for me. Amen? Is that true? Do you believe that this morning? Therefore, I can never... You say, are you going to stumble and fall? Yeah, I am. But in God's eyes, there will never be a need for another sacrifice for my sins. What a treasure. What a treasure we have in Christ. We can have a new beginning, but not just any new beginning that has to be restored and renewed every time we fail, right? But the Bible says we can have a new beginning that is an eternal acceptance with God. Bible says he entered, back in Hebrews, he entered into the holy place how many times? Once. And he dealt with how many sins? All. Isn't that good news? That's what Jesus Christ brings to us. He brings us the opportunity to start over again and to do it not on our own merits, but do it on his merits. And he never fails. In Christ, we have the hope, number one, of being born again. Number two, in the text, it says that they were born again unto a lively hope. This simply means that the hope that they had all throughout the years of sacrifice was a what type of hope? It was a dead hope, wasn't it? It was a, a lamb that was still dead. And they had to hope in that lamb for that year to cover their sins. Listen, we do not have a dead hope. We have a living hope. We have a lively hope. We have a life-giving hope. The life that Jesus Christ resurrected with for us is the life that he has imputed to us and implanted in us. And now his life is our life. Isn't that amazing? His life is my life. I don't have to trust in a dead animal any longer. I trust in the one who has risen from the dead. Colossians 1:27 the Bible says to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles of the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the living, resurrected Lamb of God living inside of you. If you're a Christian this morning, that's the reality. God sees you in light of Christ because he has become your life. 
It is a living hope. It is a life-giving hope. And then, if you'll think about this as well, John 4 and verse 14, the Bible says, whoever drinks the water that I will give them, speaking of eternal life, will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to everlasting life. In other words, the life that you have, Christ accomplished it, imputed it, and implanted it in you, but now it's meant to impact whom? It's a spring. It's meant to impact that person sitting next to you. It's meant to impact others. You see, Jesus was an example of giving life, and we are called to do what? To give life. We give life through the gospel. We preach the gospel. And the gospel gives life. We have the hope of a new beginning We have a living hope, a lively hope. Number three, the Bible says this. He goes on to say in verse number four, we have been through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have a hope of eternal inheritance. Eternal rewards. This is important. The Bible tells us in John 17, in John 6, and and, and in other places in the book of John, that when we become a Christian, when we get saved through faith in Christ, that we are made one with Christ, right? How how many of you ever played on a team before? Anybody ever played on a team before? How many of you played on a team before and you set the bench the whole game? I know, no one's going to raise their hand, right? (laughs) It's like, not me. I should have asked the other question. How many of you played the entire game? Everybody would have had their hands up, right? Okay, so listen. So you played the whole game. Let's say, let's get this illustration right. You you were on the team. You set the bench the whole game. You didn't contribute. You contributed absolutely nothing. You won the championship. And who was a winner as much as everybody who was on the field? You were. You didn't sit back and be like, oh, I didn't do anything. I don't deserve to be happy because I didn't participate. No, you're just excited as everybody else. You watch those pro games and you see the World Series comes to an end and the Giants have won. I knew that would work. Okay. Now, now I've got a lot of other people looking at me like, oh. All right. Back to the Bible. You see those guys that haven't participated much at all. They're just there. But when that game is won, everybody clears that bench and everybody celebrates as if they had played the entire game, right? That's what it's like for us. You see, we are rewarded not based upon what we have accomplished We are rewarded. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with, we are co-heirs with Christ. So we are rewarded not because we have done something great, because guess what? None of us have. We are rewarded because Jesus has done something great. It's amazing. God gives us the grace to win, and then he rewards us for winning. Isn't that awesome? 
He gives us the strength. He gives us the ability. He gives us the passion. He gives us the know-how. He gives us the pursuit. He gives us, he does all of those things through us because he lives inside of us. And then he says at the end of the day, hey, by the way, here's your trophy. And do you know what the Bible says that we will do with that trophy when he gives it to us? What are we going to do with it? We're going to cast it at his feet. Why? Because we're going to know, hey, we didn't do anything. The Lord has done it all. Amen? He's going to reward us. We're going to get to heaven and have every psalmist says that, that, the, that um, at the right hand of God, there are pleasures forevermore. One of the neat things about being a Christian is I don't live for the pleasures of this life. I live for the pleasures of the next life. But I know this, they're going to far outweigh this. The Lord even says if we're not willing to sacrifice this, we'll not get that. A lot of people, have you, ever, you ever met somebody that had the potential, the opportunity to, to make, maybe to make a lot of money or to have a lot of things, but they were so possessive of what they have that they would not let it work? And what they did was, is they had what they had, but they didn't have more. Some people are going to cling to this life so tightly that they're going to miss out on what God has for them in the next life. Some of us, the Bible says this, if we will, if we will, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. If we will lose our life, if we'll let go, the Bible says we get that. Eternal inheritance. The Lord says it's an incorruptible inheritance, which simply means it cannot be impacted by corruption, by crime. It's not, the word is not related to corruption like um, uh, rust, but it's related to corruption like crime. When you make an investment in this life, is it not subject to corruption? Is it not subject to some criminal? I mean, all you have to do is follow the economy for the last 20 years and you see these guys, you know, taking your money and then putting it into their bank, right? We see that corruption all over our system. Here's what the Bible says. If you will lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, there is no corruption there. Matthew 6, Right? Our eternal inheritance is not subject to corruption or crime. The Bible says it's undefiled, which means it's not subject to corruption or decay. It's not subject to losing any value, okay? It's not subject to losing any value. I remember in the 90s, when the stock market basically collapsed, I had a pastor friend of mine who was ready, right on the stage of retirement, and the, the stock market didn't do very good, and and he, um, he came to me and he says, man, I've just, my retirement has just been extended 10 years later. And it was, it was frustrating for him. And the reason is, is that the value of his investment declined. The value of your investment in heaven will never decline. That's what the Bible says here. Our inheritance is not subject to decline in value. And then the last thing that he says is it's unfading, meaning that the beauty of it is never going to fade away. We look at those flowers in the spring and we see them blooming and we see that, those beautiful colors, right? We think, that's amazing. But you know what happens in fall or even later in the year? They all start to turn. We love the green, right, on the hills. We, we drove here and we thought, my goodness, this is amazing. And then when we got here, everybody said, don't worry, they'll be what color soon? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. 
You know why? Because their earthly treasures fade. But the Bible tells us that heavenly treasures never fade. They never lose any of their beauty. This is what we can have through the resurrection of Christ. It means this, that how do, say, Pastor John, how do I enjoy those treasures? It's by investing your life in living out his life. Galatians 5, by living out the fruits of the Spirit, by manifesting what he has done for you to others, by showing them how great your God is. Do we have a great God? I mean, seriously, do we have a great God? We do, don't we? Sometimes we need to be reminded of how great our God is. The resurrection of Christ has secured for us an inheritance. And we partake of that, not by works that we have done, but by works that he has done through us. The last thing that he says, and this is my last thought. I'm going to hold to that. He says, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. The last thing we have because of the resurrection of Christ is we have hope that our inheritance and our salvation is secure. Thank you. It is secure. It's not temporarily secure. It's not for a year or 10 years. It is for ever. Your salvation is forever based upon, founded upon the fact that you are a good person. No, you guys correct me. I'm glad to hear that. We are eternally secure because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, plus nothing and minus nothing. Matter of fact, let me submit to you that plus something or minus something equals nothing. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father unless they come through me. It's true, isn't it? It's not my words, it's Jesus' words, and, and he's way more important than I am. John 10, 27 through 30, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me, and they shall never perish. No one is able to pluck them out of my hand. Romans chapter eight. What shall separate us from the love of God? And it goes on to describe tribulation and distress and demonic powers. Everything that you could ever think of that could possibly separate you from God's love. And listen, at the end of the day, he says, nothing can separate us from God's love. The question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is this, am I in God's love? That's the question. Some people want to be claimed to be in God's love who are not in God's love. They want to claim all of these things that I just talked about who are not under God's grace. They're under his wrath. Those who are saved are kept, not by their own power, but by the power of the one who hath saved them. And then he says this, they are kept 
and guarded through what? Through good works. They are kept and guarded through faith. You see, God, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. The faith that God demands of you to be accepted by God is the faith that God gifts to you when he comes to live within you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you simply have to rest in him. Is it easy to do? No. You have to rest in him for power to rest in him. <laughs> right? Amen? But listen to me this morning. If you're, if you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior. He is amazing. He has done everything necessary for you to be born again for you to have a hope in something that is alive, not in your works, not in a dead sacrifice, but to have hope in one who died, was buried, and three days later rose up. I tell you what, I like to hope in that, right? You can have that hope this morning in Christ. You can have the hope of an eternal inheritance, and you can have the hope that is secure. And you say, how do I possess that, Pastor John? You possess it by, by faith. It's by faith. And it's by faith alone. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have because of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will awaken the heart of one who's here this morning, who is still dead in their trespasses and sins, has not come to recognize the significance and the sufficiency of Christ. I pray that you will awaken them this morning, that you might save them, bring them to yourself, deliver them from all of the bondage that they experience now, and set them free to follow you. Thank you so much for your word. We pray that you would use it to bring about your results. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.